We're here with Chris from Prolific Operations. And today you just finished, as you do on most Saturdays, handgun qualifying licensing classes. And you're an instructor and owner of the company. Is that correct? That's correct. All right, man. Well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Incidentally, I grabbed a couple of your students as they were finishing the hands-on portion. Um, they had good things to they say. They did right? have, they were very excited. <laughs> good, good, they good. were, you know, you could see that good. they, uh, they felt a sense of accomplishment today. That's good. Okay. okay. And today, uh, today's a special day. Today is the first official Juneteenth yes. as a government holiday. We're recording it this day. Uh, this will be released a little late, which somehow seems appropriate. Uh, <laughs> but um, thanks again for joining us, man. So, look, you own and operate Prolific Ops. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself, what you have done in the past, and how you got to this point. Okay. So, uh, again, Chris, uh, I have I spent you know about seven years in local law enforcement, and then transitioned to a federal position that still requires me to maintain my proficiency with with a handgun. I have a primary team of three instructors, myself included. Then there's Kurt and, and Kenny, two other instructors that, 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 I, that I partner with. Then there are some other, other instructors that assist us, you know, on a, on a more part-time basis. But all the instructors that we use have at least 10 years of formal firearms experience. So that's rifles, pistols, shotguns, and again, demonstrating proficiency with those firearms. Probably sometime around, you know, uh, early 2020, as the pandemic was going on, uh, you saw like the civil unrest. A lot of times what's going on in, in, in politics can drive a surge in gun ownership and purchases. You know, as we saw the election and then the civil disturbances and then the pandemic and just the uncertainty mm-hmm. that kind of surrounded that and not really you know knowing what direction we were headed with that. People wanting to feel secure. It drove gun ownership to record levels. And in that period of time, because part of what we're talking about today is not just the the surge in gun ownership. We see that almost every election, right? Mm-hmm. Someone on one side of the election is feeling like they need guns mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for whatever reason. But perhaps more than usual, we saw black gun ownership interests. Exactly. Exactly. OK. Exactly. And so you you sense the need for that and were able to step in and help fill some of that need. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't want to take all the credit, there are a lot of instructors that, that stepped up to the plate to make sure that you know, the community had uh, a countless number of options for where to go to get trained up. Uh, some solid instructors that I've come across and you know, some that I've worked with and partnered with and others that I've just kind of observed from afar. But yeah, uh, you know, there were a lot of, of, of experienced people and, and some just gun enthusiasts, right, that, that stepped up to the plate. And were very intentional about educating themselves, licensing and, 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 you know, insuring themselves and all that good stuff to start businesses so that we can get people trained up and, yeah. and trained up the right way. Right. So. And I think I think that's what's important. Look, the shelves are filled with all kinds of products mm-hmm. and some are high quality and some are not. Some may be more suitable for your preference and others are not. But my impression with you, uh, my experience with you is that you are, are some of the high quality product well, that you. we want out there on the shelf to provide this service. Thank now, this you. is not a service for every person alive, right? Mm-hmm. But for people interested in gun ownership, 
and gun proficiency, perhaps more so than just ownership, mm-hmm. uh, you provide a, a really wonderful resource for that. Yeah, thank you for speaking so uh, so so highly of me and the team. Well, I you know I have experience I have, having taken your course mm-hmm. uh, during that time, and at you that did. time you shot pretty well too. Yeah, I yeah, it's not my first time, thing. but you know, <laughs> okay. it was a good day. But um, and that was at a time like you mentioned that was around election twenty twenty time. And I remember tension was everywhere. Classes were filled everywhere. Mm -hmm. Ammunition was out of stock everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting, whatever political leaning you had, whatever side of anything you were on, everybody was feeling that sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, People like myself, who had never previously owned guns of any kind, were suddenly interested. And we had people in our class that, that had guns. Some were planning to get guns. Some had no plan to get a gun, but it was almost a just in case. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me get qualified. Let me get licensed in this, in this state so that if I choose later, I can go right forward yep. and deal with it. Yep, yep. You, you provide lots of services. In addition to the standard handgun qualifying license, which in our state of Maryland, you need to buy a handgun, mm-hmm. but you do not need to buy rifles, shotguns, mm-hmm. other long guns. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it gets it gets a little particular, you know, once you get into like barrel lengths and all that good okay. stuff, you know, things can get kind of complicated with that. But in addition to that ability to, but on the on the face value, yes. That's, that's okay. Accurate. In addition to that qualifying license, what other types of certifications or training do you offer? So we also offer concealed carry licensing. So that would be so that you can carry the gun on your person as you're out and about. We offer one-on-one training, and that could be one-on-one or small group, just any kind of private training. And uh, what I like to say with that type of training is that it starts wherever your comfort level ends, right? So if you are comfortable with gun laws and you're comfortable with manipulating the gun and you just want to become a better shooter, then that's where we'll start, right? You want to start at the basics and just learn how to stand and, and grip the gun and things like that. That's where we'll start. So it's very much tailored to, toward what your needs are. And it's, you know, the goal of it is to build a solid, solid foundation that you can uh, build on to later on. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good way to make a, an initial financial investment mm-hmm. where you get that initial training and then you do your own thing from there, but you know that you're building on a solid foundation. And you guys give a lot of great information during the classwork, which we'll talk about a little bit later in our discussion, but everything from the physics of the gun and, and how you would go about making a selection for something that's suitable for, for each individual. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really, really great. What have you been seeing since you started this some years ago as far as how did you engage the African-American community? How did you engage them initially? And how do you see that engagement progressing over the time that you've been doing this? Yeah, so I've been privately training on my own for a while. But uh, as far as like doing formal training and, and having the company, this company was only established last year during the pandemic. Okay. You know, we just really hit the ground running. So, you know, a lot of times people think we've been around for longer than we have, but we came in with the experience as opposed to just being gun enthusiasts that, uh, you know, had some interest in guns and wanted to share that with others. We were training. We were training hard, right? Mm-hmm. We had a lot of experience prior to that. So when we came in, we were coming with experience and we just needed to learn how to apply that and help other people, right? You've been doing th- things for 10 years, but to really help someone else understand that and know how to break it down in simple terms that people can understand and yeah. not overload people, things like that. That was the part that we that we needed experience with. And we were very intentional about how we went about training ourselves to be able to train others. And uh, that, that has helped with uh, our ability to have a positive impact pretty quickly. But 
what we've seen since we started, uh, you know, black people are awakening, you know, they're waking up, you know, and it's great to see because we are entitled to those rights just as much as everyone else is. Right. And, you know, we have so many different factors that have driven us away from it. I posted a video recently on on uh, Instagram of Ice-T just simply saying, I'll give up my guns when everybody else gives up theirs. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like they're there. They're out there. Yeah. Right. You know, there are people with, you know, a whole arsenal of guns in their house. Right. And for some reason, we haven't we haven't felt entitled to that same right. Right. There's a lot of factors there and we could delve into each one of them. But the reality is that people are waking up now and. I'm just happy to be a part of it. I'm happy to be, you know, involved in in this process of people going from being extremely nervous and they're shaking, walking into the range. Sometimes it doesn't happen that one that, you know, that first time that they, they train, but eventually developing their skills to the point where they feel confident and they're owning the right to carry a firearm and to possess a firearm. And they're understanding the weight of it and exactly what that means. And they're enjoying it at the same time, you know, so that, that's really important for us. There's a lot to that, that that you say. Let's talk about first, one of the things you mentioned sounds like professionalism. And you said you guys, you and your team mm -hmm. and the rest of the members of your team are also professionals who've been trained in, in firearms, yep. either through their jobs or, yep. or, or otherwise, but you hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. And just from my own experience in this area of looking into this and, and checking on things, everyone doesn't carry that same professionalism. What have you noticed about some of your counterparts or, or competition, as you will, as far as professionalism and how that professionalism is received and translate to better instruction? Yeah. So uh, I, th I think everyone has a place. Right. And, you know, my approach doesn't work for everyone. And that's fine. The goal is as a collective, you know, I, I saw something recently that just said that, you know, with everything that was happening in the last few years, black experienced whether it's, uh, uh, you know, law enforcement or just a firearm enthusiast or whatever, we answered the call. We got ourselves trained up and licensed and insured and everything that we needed to, to get ourselves together to be able to train the community. And, you know, we answered the call that was needed. You know, I've seen some things that, you know, aren't, aren't for me, aren't my way of going about things. And I try to stand apart because my goal is to to be a resource, right? I don't want to just, you know, you know, I can make money elsewhere. But there's a lot of things you could do to make money, right? Mm -hmm. A lot less dangerous things you could do to make money. But I want to be a, a resource for the community. So I want you to be able to go to one of our classes and feel like you had your your your, your questions answered. I've seen, you know, times where you know an, an instructor is being asked a question and they don't know the answer to you know some basic firearm related questions, right? So I want to be able to answer your questions. I want you to feel like you got some good information. I want you to feel like, you know, you can come to me about shotguns, rifles, pistols. You know, you can we can talk about Maryland gun laws and gun laws outside of the state. I want you I want to feel like a resource. I want to feel like you can go to my social media and scroll and get some good information related to guns, stuff that you can absorb the basic stuff about Great starter guns, expanding all the way to some of the more fine tuning of shooting and, and becoming extremely proficient or like very proficient. Uh, I want you to be able to feel like you can look at the company at ProOps as a resource for that, for all that. And that's not something that we're, we're seeing everywhere. Some places are just places to get a license to go buy guns and they, they give you very minimal instruction and maybe don't instill that level of respect that you mentioned. If, if any at all. Right? If any at all. <laughs> Some of it seems like more fun and games than, than something mm -hmm. very serious and, and potentially uh, lethal, for better or for worse. 
Let's go for a moment. You talked about being a resource and you talked about the community's response and interest mm -hmm. taking ownership of their rights as citizens mm -hmm. uh, in this country to own guns. But we've, we've chatted about this. Who is it that is leading the charge in our community that you're seeing? I think it's very interesting who is filling your classes uh, lately. So to be honest, uh, black women have, have come out and supported um, at a greater number than than anyone else, any other demographic. And it's nice that, you know, they're they're empowering themselves. And, you know, I try to do things to, you know, get get these these brothers out. And you know, we've had people of all different races. We've had black, white, Asian, Hispanic, you name it. And you know, I'm not talking one or two. We've, you know, mm -hmm. had a good number just in the past, you know, calendar year. So we've had some great diversity and I enjoy that. You know, uh, I I definitely have a, have a passion for serving my community, but I, you know, I want to reach everyone, right? And I think it's important that, you know, they can see instructors of, of different color than you were used to seeing that also bring that same professionalism, same, you know, knowledge base and experience to the table. So, you know, we take that very seriously, but for the most part, you know, the demographic that we've been seeing the most is, is black women. I think one of the things that appeals to me about you and, and your group is that level of professionalism. It is, of course, this is a black owned and operated business. There's a level of comfort with that. This is an uncomfortable thing for new gun owners. Um, and I spoke to a few of the folks who participated in your class just today. And that was something they mentioned was that they they felt comforted being in a class that was run by people that that they could relate to mm -hmm. um, in a world that otherwise they feel like they maybe don't belong in. Gun ownership is not new amongst African-Americans, but it's it's changed in years. It was something where a lot of us, we talk about how grandpa had a shotgun or something like that, but really not gun ownership in its modern iteration. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that your your group is really providing that service in this community to educate and provide access and information and really be that resource, as you said. Gun sales are at an all-time high. And you mentioned before that, you know, some people have real armories, you know, of guns. Mm -hmm. Gun sales are at an all-time high, but ownership amongst people is almost at an all-time low. Many, many years ago, two-thirds of the country owned guns. Mm -hmm. And now that number is far lower. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing is that the number of people who own guns is relatively small, but the amount of guns that those people own mm -hmm. is very high. It's concentrated amongst gun owners who owns mm -hmm. this in a way unlike other things. It's not really uniformly distributed. You have any thoughts on why that is the case? I think it's hard to say, but, you know, for me, I can speak from my personal experience. You know, social media plays a big role in society now. And I could log into Instagram and, you know, I follow a bunch of different firearm instructors, firearm retailers, and I see the guns that they post and someone might give a review of a gun and you go on YouTube and you watch a little bit of it and you kind of just sink into that black hole. right? Yeah, and the yeah. next thing you know, you just got to have that gun. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of it, I think, is just the uh, the influence of exposure. Right. So we're being exposed to different guns and and, you know, wanting to have the, the next latest and greatest, you know, just like, you know, I want to upgrade an iPhone or something like that. It's like, you know, I want to upgrade my gun and and. You know, it's just constant exposure to different guns, to the capabilities of them. And then also just the, the quality of these guns just continues to, to improve, right? And the capabilities of them. So they're constantly catering to 
different demographics even, right? Mm-hmm. So they have like some guns that are really easy to manipulate or they have some guns that uh, are like race guns and competition guns. And as people are, are becoming more exposed to uh, competition shooting and things like that, you just have all different reasons to diversify your, uh, your army of guns. <laughs> I'm sorry, there's a, lot, there's a lot of background noise. We had this brilliant idea of doing this in your your outside space. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you may hear the tail end of the cicadas out there and, and cars passing by. So are guns like tattoos? You get one, you're going to get a bunch? That's a, yep. That's, that's, a, that's a great comparison. <laughs> that's what we got. That's a great comparison. So the guns are evolving, like you said. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of discussion. You mentioned competition guns and mm-hmm. speed guns. And, and some of those things are really fascinating to watch or participate in. But the most that we hear about in this area is personal protection and home mm-hmm. defense. That said, how many home defense guns does a person need? <laughs> so I, I saw this uh, story one time with this guy. He was in the shower and someone broke in his house and he defended himself with the shower gun. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, instantly, you're like, yeah. I need a shower gun. I need a shower. Right? Everybody's I got know, to have I a know. shower gun. And, wow. and I use, I usually don't talk about what's in my house, but I can tell you I don't have a shower yeah, gun. Yeah, okay. All right. All right. If, if, if we're catch, coming to you, yeah. we catch you during shower time. Yeah, if you catch me in that that, uh, <laughs> that window in the name, you know, I'm, no, just, I, I'm just meant to meet my maker. But uh, but for the most part, you know, I think that it's important to have access to it. So a lot of it just depends on how much exposure you have to the incidents that are happening around us, right? How many times have I seen someone have their their, their front door kicked in, Right. And, you know, someone's in the house in seconds, right? Uh, two or three kicks to the door and the thing flies open. How many times have I seen that versus, you know, the average person? How many times have they seen that? There'll, there'll be a big sure. discrepancy, especially also, again, coming from law enforcement. So my reality and my world, you know, kind of is different. But I think that as you, first of all, there's usually something that influences you to want to buy that handgun in the first place. And and I would think that it's most often some perceived threat, right? Mm-hmm. Outside of like the, you know, the doing it as a hobby or, or hunting and things like that. It's usually some kind of perceived threat that you're recognizing in society or around you. And that usually just kind of starts you, starts the research, right? And starts the explosion. You start to, you know, change what, you know, what, what you're paying attention to. And I think that when you really start to look at our safety and just how vulnerable we are, and how vulnerable we just don't, you know, you talk to people and, you know, I was talking to someone recently and she lives at home alone and only keeps her screen door closed and it's not even locked. And the, the front door is wide open. And, you know, her mindset is what's someone going to do to me in this cul-de-sac in a decent neighborhood. Right. Mm. And I understand, you know, why she might think like that. I don't think like that. I don't agree. And I think that most gun owners, again, have recognized that. Or feel that like, hey, look, I'm maybe nothing's going to happen to me. Right. Mm-hmm. And most likely nothing's going to happen to me. But in the chance that it does, I want to be prepared to defend myself. And I don't want to wait the, the the two, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, 10 minutes that it'll take law enforcement to get there. I have a right to purchase a handgun, to keep it in my home and be prepared to defend my myself. Right. My, myself and my family. And I'm going to take that. You know, I'm going to take advantage of that. And I, I completely agree with that. And especially as you look at everything going on in the world and you look at uh, some of these police related incidents and some of the unrest that it has caused, you'll see police departments on fire. You'll see police cars on fire. 
you will see police cars flipped over and them rocks being thrown at them and things like that. And in those moments, who are they focused on? Mm -hmm. They're focused on themselves, right? And in those moments, I want to be able to have an answer for defending myself and my family, right? There seems to be a disconnect in America, at, at least up until this point, where Black Americans didn't feel that way. And if there's a perceived threat, as much as we've talked about these threats and, and abuses and injustices, you would have thought that Black Americans would have been more eager to get involved with gun ownership and gun education. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that it seems to be increasing now, but mm -hmm. I wonder why that perceived threat didn't translate to gun ownership in the past. Well, I, I, I know I can speak to one thing, and it's that there's been legislation, you know, over the course of, of you know, hundreds of years, right, that has, has been geared towards making African-Americans less likely to own a firearm, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, trying to suppress our desire to or just our, our ability to. Uh, and that could be financially. That could be through, you know, again, you know, different charges and things like that, like criminal charges, you know, that will prevent us from gun ownership. You know, many of them nonviolent. Right. And there are there are a lot of factors that would prevent that have prevented African-Americans from from owning a firearm. And, and honestly, the cost is a big one. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, the, the reality is that good training does cost money and quality gun does cost some money and licensing and paperwork and things like that can cost money. Also, training can cost money, especially when it's a, a, a state requirement. Right. That alone can deter a lot of people. Let's go a little bit more about about training, about resources. If I have 50 guns and I'm poorly trained, it only takes one bullet coming the other way mm -hmm. for that for that encounter to be over. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So so what's your role in that in that education and that training of people? Because yeah. you can buy all the guns you want. It doesn't make you safer if you are not familiar with them or mm -hmm. know how to properly use them. Exactly. And those people in those bad areas that are shooting a bunch of innocent people, nine times out of ten, it's because they don't know how to shoot. You know, they're pulling and praying, right? You know, hope, <laughs> pulling and hope, praying. Hoping that they hit, hit what they're trying to hit. But most of the times they're not, right? So you see these one-year-olds and five-year-olds and, and adolescents, you know, being shot with stray bullets. Most of those are stray because the person shooting probably didn't even know what sight alignment was, right? The concept of that is like just foreign to them. They're, you know, they're looking at the person they're shooting and pulling the trigger and the gun is even, isn't even in their focus at all. So yeah, I completely agree that, you know, having 50 guns but no training is, is a major issue. And, you know, people will go put all these accessories on their gun mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. you know, they, they got a, a, a Tiffany blue gun or, you know, a, a gold gun and yeah. all these great features and whatnot. But they don't know how to use it, you know, and, and that's a huge problem. So what I, I always I'm a huge proponent of one on one training, the growth that someone can see in simply, you know, having a, an hour or two hours with a with an instructor one on one or in a small group like one on two or one in three. The growth that they can see is, is just exponential. Right. And it builds that foundation. So you can go train on your own after that. And once you have that solid foundation, you can build on top of that. Right. So I know how to stand. I know how to hold the gun. I know, you know, proper safety procedures and 
I know how to uh, align my, my, my sites properly. And I understand these basic concepts. Mm-hmm. Now I can just build onto it. Now it's like I can take my time initially, shoot really slow in the beginning as I build on my proficiency. And then eventually I can kind of speed up and, and, and start to put myself in some more real life scenarios. So in, in training, even in one-on-one, to what level can you improve someone who's just skittish? And I ask that because we, we know in different environments, when chaos erupts, people don't always perform very well. Mm-hmm. We know this with, with soldiers who are great in training and not so great in combat. In my world, in my profession, I see, you know, renowned surgeons who are excellent at what they do and do it every day. But if something goes out of the ordinary, they fall apart. Mm-hmm. Okay. As much as we can get a, like you said, a pretty, color-coded gun that looks beautiful without being familiar with it, that's one problem. But without being familiar with a traumatic experience or an environment, what role can you play in preparing somebody for that? Yeah. So a lot of training that I've done in the past has included a stress test element to it. So, you know, they're putting you under stress, whether it's doing a bunch of cardio and push-ups or running up a hill prior or, you know, just yelling in your ear, hitting you with things while you're shooting. So obviously I've done, you know, more intense training than the average person would do. But a, a lot of it honestly just has to do with how much you've prepared yourself mentally prior to that, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, have you gone through a, a, you know, what I call a mental checklist? So, you know, I'm laying in bed and it's two in the morning and, and I can't sleep and I could sit there and scroll on my phone or I could sit down and think, what if someone kicked in my door right now? What would I do? Where would I go in the house? You know, how fast would I be able to access my gun? Would I remember the code to the gun safe? If it's not a digital one and I need a key, where's the key? Is it a quick access, you know, type of thing? You know, I have to be processing that thing before it actually happens. That's the first step. And of course, you know, again, if you're going to say that this gun is going to be used to protect yourself or your family, you have to, you might also have to protect your family from that gun, right? So gun safes are really important. This mental checklist where I say, if something does happen, if someone's in my house or if this tense encounter does happen and I feel the need to pull out my gun, what will I do with it? Right. And going through those scenarios. So a lot of that just has to do with uh, how much diligence you'll apply Mm -hmm. to, to, to gun ownership. It doesn't take a lot of money to apply that because let's say I buy my gun and I own it at my house. I can do, you know, a lot of practice called dry firing, which is just firing the weapon with no ammo. So there's no ammo cost or anything like that. Uh, and there are small tools that, you know, cost less than $50 that, you know, you can use to, to, to assist you with that practice. And all it is is working on the fundamentals. How am I going to stand? How am I going to hold the gun? Smooth trigger pull. These, these things, these are basic firearm fundamentals that you can work on in the house with no, no cost no ammo, no nothing, not posing any threat to anyone around you. And you can do that. You can also, again, try to make your home a hard target, right? So that it's hard to get into and, and you know, for an intruder. And then considering, okay, if someone does get all, get past all of that, what will I do? Will I go to my kid's room and bunker down there? Will I stand at the top of the stairs and order them, you know, order whoever it is to leave my house? Mm-hmm. Will I yell or will I just hide? Right? right. It's first of all, taking classes to learn the smartest ways to go about a lot of this stuff. And then again, just going through that mental checklist and, and, and mentally going through those scenarios so that when it happens, it's not, it's not foreign to you, right? It's not a first to you and you, you're prepared for it and you're ready to rise to the occasion. You can't account for, you know, the nervousness and the shaking, right? Unless, you know, you, again, you can go to the range and 
try to put yourself under under a bit of stress, speed yourself up and things like that. Put yourself under time. You can do those things. But as far as like that real life, there's someone in my house and there's there's this uh, very real threat in front of me and uh, being prepared to defend yourself in that case. A lot of that is just going to be you're going to revert back to what you've trained to do. Mm-hmm. Let me throw some resistance to you, I guess, of things that, that are common, I think. I don't want a gun because I don't want to have to think about these checklists. I don't want to live in fear, the fear of someone coming after me or, or breaking into my home. How, how do you respond to something like that? Is that a fair assessment for someone? I mean, uh, I, I think it's about perception because I don't live in fear. And part of the reason is because of the gun. You know, I acknowledge certain threats that exist. Right. And, and, and to some extent, I didn't have a choice. Right. I was in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be exposed to these things, you know, regardless of whether whether I want to or not. So right. once you're exposed to these threats, now you have to decide, OK, what do I do with that? Right. There are these cops that walk around with with firearms in their hip and, their, and the right to take my life um, in certain circumstances. Right. I can't change that. There are criminals that somehow get access to brand new guns. Right. That aren't registered and they have no license or anything like that. And they do it sometimes easier than we do it when we're trying to get licensed. Right. right. Those are realities. So many times I, I just struggle because, you know, what you just spoke of in, in your resistance. Right. There's also just a reality that that's, that might be a desire. We desire this world. And, and to be honest, if I could snap my finger and make all the guns on, on, you know, in this country disappear, I'd seriously consider it, right? They are dangerous. A lot of people uh, do lose their life due to gun violence. There is a such thing as, as accidental discharge and negligent discharge that has resulted in loss of life, right? These are realities. Mm-hmm. And I acknowledge that. And if I felt there was a way to avoid those, then, yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely something that we have to strongly consider. Right. Uh, and people will make try to make these connections between car accidents and all those things, all these necessary things. It's necessary that we get from one point to another. Right. But is it necessary that we own a gun? And for me, it's necessary because guns are so prevalent. Right. And at that point, I don't feel like it's a choice for me if I'm going to say that I am the ultra, ultimate protector of my children, right? And I'm not, by ultimate protector, I don't mean that I can, you know, I can take on the world. That's not what that means. But if I say that, you know, I want my kids to know that they have a safe place that they can come to at any time. I don't care what's going on in that world. You got a safe place. Again, understanding that, you know, I'll I'll do the best I can, but I feel much more equipped and I feel much more confident saying that. And it's not empty, right? When someone can just kick in my door with a gun and then all that goes away, right? right? Next thing you know, all I got is my cell phone and a stick, you know? I, I, don't, I don't feel as confident about that. Again, for me, the threat that I see and the way I've chosen and, and decided to respond to it, which is, you know, through responsible gun ownership and training and all that, I feel comfortable. I don't feel like I'm entertaining a, a threat that doesn't exist. The, the threat exists, and we see it on the news each, each day, Right. And uh, this is my response to it, you know, and I, and I want to empower others because honestly, there's a there is a great comfort and confidence that I feel knowing that I don't care who you are. You can't just walk through that door, you know, if I don't want you to. Right. I think it's interesting and, and a valid point that the perspective can change whether you feel victimized by having a gun mm-hmm. or if you feel empowered and more secure by having one. And it's all mm-hmm. about how you look at things. Let's take a quick break, and I may have some more resistance. 
We were talking about a little bit of resistance and perspective. Mm -hmm. Here's a perspective that I've always had. I'm a a master of terrible analogies, Mm -hmm. right? So that's what I do. (laughs) So I use basketball. Mm -hmm. If I'm in basketball and I practice and every practice, I practice a three point shot. Mm -hmm. That's all I do. Each practice all week long is practice my three pointing. When the game starts, I'm going to find a situation to take that three-point shot, whether it's appropriate or or not, because that's what I've been training and practicing for. That's my mindset. And I've always made an analogy that for some gun owners, they're always practicing a scenario where they need to pull and use their gun. And I feel like, does that make some people more dangerous or more at risk when an otherwise non-aggressive situation becomes aggressive because someone's been practicing their three-point shot, so to speak. Do you, do you yeah, follow yeah, yeah. my terrible analogy? Oh, that's not terrible okay. at all. And, it, and it's very true. Uh, I just watched this in the last week where a guy was uh, having a dispute with someone in a gas station parking lot. Yeah, I saw that. And he decided to shoot some tires out, I think, uh, or, or shoot at the guy's car. He wasn't trying to yeah. trying to hurt any. You know, I don't believe he was trying to hurt anyone, but maybe just trying to intimidate or take out t- take out some frustration. And one of the things I usually talk about in my classes is. You got to know yourself, right? What is your temperament? Yeah. Right. And, you know, we sometimes you, know, you hear people just talk so tough. They talk so tough and they talk almost like the people that have nothing to lose. Right. But you know them well enough to know they have a lot to lose. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that, again, I find a lot of a, a lot of comfort in knowing that I can defend myself. But if I'm really paying attention. Right. And if I'm really looking uh, looking within it and deciding, you know, what is best for me, right? And, and you know, I, and, and if I know that my self-control isn't great and I know that, you know, my temperament isn't great, then any comfort that I would gain from owning the firearm mm-hmm. should be lost by knowing myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So I might know these guns and that's great. I know how to use them. I know the shooting, but I know myself too. Yeah. And I know that I don't need a gun, right? And you have to know yourself, you know, in, in that way. And I think what we're, what we're trying to uh, focus on here is, is not really to advocate that everyone needs to have a gun, mm-hmm. but to advocate that if you think you do, there are resources for you to responsibly own that gun exactly. to the best of your service. Exactly. Okay. And, exactly. you know, you mentioned something that I think is very important, especially as we talk about African American communities and gun ownership. It's that sense of value and self-worth and entitlement. Mm-hmm. Now, I won't put this on you, but my impressions have been that in America, it's guns for everyone, everywhere, all the time, except for black people. When, when there's an incident and, and the police have pulled someone over, well, there was a gun in the car. Well, shouldn't there be? Right. If I if I mm-hmm. listen to some of the rhetoric, the extreme, I, I, albeit extreme rhetoric from uh, gun advocacy, Everyone's entitled to have a gun with them. And as long as that gun is properly registered and transported, there should be a gun in the car. Mm-hmm. So that's not really a, a mitigating factor or an influencing factor that this person had a gun, but it only is used or I only hear about it when it's when it's a black person. He had a gun. Well, mm-hmm. he has a right to have a gun, perhaps. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do we get that sense of self-valuation that we do have something to lose that's worth defending? that we are entitled as citizens just as equally as anybody else? 
How do we get to that point? Or mm-hmm. is that something that you're seeing with your clients, with your participants? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think we're definitely already, you know, trending in that, in that direction. We're well on our way. And one of the things you mentioned is like these incidents, you know, where even legal gun owners, right? Like you, you, you can look back to, uh, Philando Castile. Philando Castile, Castile. willingly uh, <laughs> identifies, yeah. I have a gun in the car mm-hmm. and, and does all the things that you would have thought are the appropriate things to say to a law enforcement yeah. officer yeah. so that there's no surprise or, or seeming mm-hmm. threat. Yeah. Uh, but it, it didn't work out. And to it. be honest, I have watched I mean, if you name a case, uh, a, a law enforcement shooting that was controversial, especially involving an African-American, but I've watched others, too, involving Hispanics and whites also. If you name one, I, most of the time, most of the time I will know it. Mm-hmm. And out of all of the shootings that I've seen, uh, that one is the one that disturbs me the most. That was a very disturbing one uh, out of the circumstances. That one was rough. Uh, because from my perspective... It seemed like he did everything the way he was supposed to do it, that we've been told you're supposed yeah, to do it. Yeah. Um, well, the, the law enforcement also, I think he gave, you know, relative to the situation, a pretty quiet command to, you know, don't reach for anything or you know, and whatnot. And after that, that quiet command, he escalated from, you know, one to ten pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, zero to six. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And just completely unreasonable. Yeah. And, you know, you brought up the NRA and the reputation of the NRA and. Uh, the NRA definitely took a hit at that, at that point because a lot of African Americans in the country felt that, you know, okay, you have a legal gun owner and he's unlawfully, you know, killed by, by police or unreasonably killed by police. And, you know, you're silent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the NRA took a, took a big, I guess, PR hit for that. Sure. And, uh, and the NRA and they continue had, to. Yeah. They, they've got lots of issues that have, disrupted their organization. And, you know, frankly, I, I'm not familiar enough with them to know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. So, um, so I think that, you know, as we look at communal organizations to be a part of, uh, you know, we have organizations like NAGA, mm-hmm. the uh, National Ar- African-American Gun Association, and, and a bunch of others with that, you know, NAGA being the most prominent. We have to support those organizations in a way that gets them from you know, a group of, of us, right? Like, you know, relatively like-minded people mm-hmm. that are interested in, in firearms and whether it's for hobby or self-defense and whatnot, right? To some, so a group of people that have political impact, mm-hmm. right? That can, can, can impact legislation and you just can have political influence, right? And I think for that, that's a pivot. That's different from where we are now. We, we are, we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. We're just not there. So when you talk about being involved in like the NRA or being involved with the, the NRA uh, and being a, an NRA member uh, and some of the other organizations, uh, USCCA being another another popular one and us trying to vet that and vet our involvement in that as as African-Americans. Right. A lot of it is just going to have to be simplified. And what do I have to do to become licensed, to become a legal gun owner? to become proficient, to be able to license others, to to positively impact my community by being able to be uh, an instructor, right? What do I, who do I, what do I have to be involved with? What licenses do I need? And where do I need to get them, Mm -hmm. right? And does that process compromise my goals? And does it compromise who I am and my foundational beliefs and whatnot? Uh, So, you know, when I considered all that, I decided to get, Registered through the NRA. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Is the yeah. NAAGA, the National African American Gun Association, is that a, is that for lack of a, a, a better way to say this, is that the black NRA? Is that? It's a, the closest thing we have to it. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, uh, you know, if you're pol- politically aware or you're just aware of what's going on around you, then you know that the influence of the NRA is, uh, much greater than, right. than any gun association, you know, in this country. And, you know, there's a lot of debate about, you know, which direction the NRA is trending in and whatnot. And, and honestly, I don't really have, I don't have enough, uh, knowledge about, you know, sure. about that aspect of things to, to confidently speak on it and, uh, in which direction they're trending in. But, but I can say that, you know, for, for many years, they were it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the goal is to get Nagan and, and other organizations in that arena to be able to play ball. And that, that, that's going to involve support. Exactly. And, and membership. Exactly. And so exactly. something for people to check out and, yeah. and see if that's something that, that aligns with them. Let me get back into some of the things that are more in your wheelhouse. So mm-hmm. I'm a pea shooter. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to pepper you up with a few questions and you can answer them as, as mm-hmm. kind of quickly as you can, as best you can. So, um, in the state of Maryland, do I need a special license to buy a rifle or a shotgun? No. Do I need a special license to buy a handgun? You do. So okay. you need a handgun qualification license in order to obtain that. There'll be three steps. So you will have to take a training class. Uh, we offer that. My company offers that. And there are a lot of other instructors that offer that class also. Then you have to get your fingerprints taken. If you've had your fingerprints taken, you know, for other jobs or for jobs and things like mm-hmm. that, you still have to do them again. Mm-hmm. You get your fingerprints taken and then you fill out an application on the Maryland State Police website. So, you know, once you have those three steps done, you will submit your application and it'll be processed. Maryland State Police has to get it back to you within 30 days. So usually you're looking at about a 10 to 14 day turnaround, somewhere like that to uh, get approved. Okay. Uh, when you're approved, you'll get a letter in the uh, via email that'll say, you know, your, your license to go make a purchase. Okay. That qualification, that's something that you do with mm-hmm. your company uh, for sure. And what about concealed carry in the state of Maryland? Do I need a special license for that or for open carry in the state of Maryland? So you do need a, uh, a license for a uh, concealed carry in, in Maryland. You're going to conceal carry, not open carry. Okay. And uh, you, you'll need your, your Maryland concealed carry permit. That permit is primarily for, so Maryland is a, is a May issue state, uh, which means that uh, you have to provide a good and substantial reason for why you need a the, the license. So that's primarily for uh, business owners, uh, you know, traveling with cash and transactions and things like that. It'll be for real estate agents. You know, they go into vacant homes and, you know, you never know if there's a squatter in there, that type of thing. Assume the risk positions, like job positions. So, uh, most recently, they made a top secret government clearance, one of those assumed risk positions. And, uh, you, you know, you have other positions though. And if you're in any, in any type of law enforcement, you know, so you could uh, be a law enforcement officer and, and just want to also have that handgun, uh, handgun permit, uh, on top of whatever, you know, rights you have as a law enforcement officer to carry a gun. There are some other parameters, sure. but, you know, it's very, it's very still- easy to, easy to find. Um, that still know, seems somewhat limited, from. though. That seems like not everyone can get licensed to have a concealed 
weapon with them in no, this state. No, no. Okay. So, and you know, I don't know if that's the perception, the perception, obviously look, criminals are criminals. Mm-hmm. They, they don't, they don't fall within th- this, but I think the perception is that uh, a great many people are, can be walking around with weapons uh, no, legally. No, not in the state of Maryland. Okay. Not in the state of Maryland. Can you transport a gun, a legal gun across state lines? So when, whenever you're transporting a firearm across state lines, the main thing you're going to want to do is look up each state's gun laws. So transporting a gun in Maryland is not the same as transporting a gun in Virginia. Generally, what they're looking for is the gun is in a locked container or, you know, it's in the, the separate trunk compartment, which will serve as your lock. They're looking for the gun to be in a, in a separate compartment or behind a lock. They're looking for the ammunition to be separated from the gun. Right. So, you know, sometimes people will get hung up on where the magazines are. The magazines aren't imported. They don't want that gun to be ready to fire. Mm-hmm. Right. And the reality is that even without the magazines, I can drop around right into the chamber of a handgun and fire it. So the goal is that the gun is not readily accessible and it's not, you know, it's not easy for you to access it and fire it. So the ammunition would be separated from the handgun. Usually, you know, the gun is as far away from you as possible in the vehicle, like the trunk area. Uh, and the ammunition is is in the compartment area mm-hmm. of the uh, the passenger passenger area of the, the vehicle. So let's talk about things specific to people. Lots of women are getting their licenses versus men. We're going to have differing size of hands, and we're going to have different strength of hands. Mm-hmm. How does that factor in? Are there are there guns suitable for all types, or is it one size fits all? I train a guy. He's former uh, NFL left tackle. And uh, he's six seven, uh, so you know his hands yeah. are, are yeah. much bigger than mine. And uh, and I shoot his, his guns, and you know while it's not ideal for me, I can you know proficiently shoot them, and I'm fine. The reality is that you know if if you're six seven and your spouse is four eleven, finding a gun that comfortably comfortably fits both of your hands, you know is, is going to be more difficult. But something that you can shoot well enough, you know that you both can shoot well enough, that's that's definitely possible. Uh, a lot of that's going to come, obviously, with training and whatnot and uh, just becoming more familiar with that handgun and and, you know, how, you know, your hand will fit on that gun and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, so I, I think that the, the goal is to balance the two. Right. You want to have a gun that's comfortable, but at the same time, you have other considerations. It could be concealability. It could be the weight of the gun. It could be, you know, the kind of gun that you, you want to buy and whether it's based on aesthetics or functionality so there's a lot that goes into it. But I think the, the main thing to do when you're looking to buy a gun is go to the gun range. Most of these gun ranges, you can pay about $15, $20 and do a rental. And let's say you're there for an hour. Usually you can swap that gun out as much as you want to within that hour and uh, get a feel for, you know, maybe four guns during that hour. Get an idea of what you what you like. Another thing you can do as far as uh, is schedule a one on one training with a, with an instructor. And usually instructors, you know, they're, they're coming with a good, mm-hmm. you know, five, six guns and things like that if, if you request it. And you can try out some different guns, some different calibers and get a feel for what works best for you there, all while getting some great instruction and building that solid foundation. So, you know, what I recommend is before making the purchase, go out, you know, handle some guns. You can go to a gun shop and just handle some and uh, and leave and go to another gun shop and mm-hmm. handle some more and whatnot. You can do that one on one. And just, you know, try to get some some exposure, some experience with with different firearms and figure out what works for you. A couple of myths or, or misinformation uh, to dispel. 
you have someone who says, I want a really concealable gun or small gun. Is that gun uh, the best for you from a standpoint of accuracy without proper training? So a big part of accuracy is being able to control the gun, right? And, and being able to handle the recoil on the gun, which is that blowback that you feel. One of the examples that I usually give people, uh, you know, so let's say you are, you're going to get in a car accident, right? It's happening, right? You'll be going 60 miles per hour. That's another factor that's not going to change. You're going to hit a brick wall. That's not going to change either. Now, the one choice that you do have is what you'll be driving. And you could be either driving, uh, you could be driving an Escalade or you could be driving a uh, Prius, right? The speed's going to be the same. What you hit is going to be the same. And you now get to choose which vehicle you're going to be driving. What what would you choose? Mm -hmm. I I go for the bigger vehicle. Exactly. And the, the reason why is because that bigger vehicle is going to absorb a lot of the impact. And, you know, the same thing's going to be with these guns. So, you know, if I have a nine millimeter round, that nine millimeter round is going to be a nine millimeter round and the explosion is going to be the same regardless of whether I put it in my nine millimeter handgun or your nine millimeter handgun. It doesn't matter. Right. So if the explosion is the same, if 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 that round is the same, then, you know, the factors that will impact it, you know, obviously will be me. And then it's obviously also going to be, you know, that the, the gun mm-hmm. and the weight of the gun is what's going to going to play a big role there. So the gun will absorb a lot of that recoil for you. OK. Uh, you know, as you shoot, if you have a heavier, heavier gun with the lighter guns, you have more what's called felt recoil. So it's the recoil that you're going to feel that you're going to have to handle and control. So, you know, a lot of people will go and they want that that small little gun and and, and it looks cool and whatnot. But again, you have to balance, you know, what you're able to shoot well with uh, what looks cool and what's comfortable and, you know, what you can conceal. And that that goes back again to exposure, experience, practice and training. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. We talked earlier about the comfort of having uh, an instructor you know, that you can relate to uh, black instructors, black business for, for black clients. What we don't seem to have is really um, accessibility to ranges or even gun shops that are black owned. And I can't speak for, for everyone, but I've talked to enough or a handful, I should say, of people who express when I go into this shop, I feel like maybe I don't belong here uh, or into that range. Yeah, they're nice enough. But it still don't feel so welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think is is the role of black owned ranges uh, and gun shops? Do we have any that that we know about? And and what about moving forward? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so they there are very few and, and far between for black owned gun uh, ranges and gun shops. Uh, you know, we have a, a black owned, owned gun shop in in Laurel, Maryland. We have one that's more recent out in uh, Hagerstown, Maryland. It's pretty, you know far ways out for, for us, mm-hmm. you know, just very, very few options as far as that goes. And I think it's very important that we keep our foot on the gas pedal and keep pushing, right, to have a greater presence in the gun community. Because again, our desire to, you know, look at, you know, look at society and, and hope that one day all the guns are gone, is it realistic, right? Mm-hmm. We have to ask ourselves that. And if it's not, then we have to figure out what are we going to do with this society that has guns everywhere, right? How are we going to handle that? So we talked about having a greater role in, you know, in politics and in, in, in having a, a greater influence and in our firearm organizations having greater influence than they have now. In the same sense, you know, uh, black gun ownership needs to coincide with 
African-Americans owning gun shops and gun ranges, places that we feel comfortable. You know, I've heard stories of people walking into gun ranges. You know, you see your little silhouette target Mm -hmm. and you see, you know, some little cool target with some little, you know, some circles on it Mm -hmm. and whatnot. And then the next thing you know, you see a Colin Kaepernick target. Right. And you can go shoot at that. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and so you can understand why people may not feel comfortable exactly, in that environment. Exactly. Right. right. You know, I can tell you right now, I'm walking out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then once I walk out, what are my other options? Do I have a better option? And where is it? Do I have to drive two hours? Do I have yeah. to drive an hour? You know, where is it? You know, and so there's definitely and, and if I got to drive, if I, if I have to drive two hours to a range every time, how often am I going to go? Right. right? right. So, or to a range that I feel comfortable mm-hmm. um, going to. So, yeah, I think it's it's really important that we figure out how to get into this next phase where we just have more influence and we have more resources that are available. You you felt that there was a need when you began the training and instruction path uh, of uh, pro ops. And hopefully we can rely on you to fill some of the need for our, our remaining needs of uh, ranges and training facilities as well in the future. Yeah, so that's, that's the hope that's we're the hope. here. We're in your your kind of uh, active space. Uh, you know, people may have seen what we're doing um, with some of our images and they see all the weights and they say, well, what the hell does that have to do with anything? But for you, you're in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. You need to keep yourself and your body fit and sound. But there's more in this image than just weights. How many weapons do you have right now on you? Just one. Oh, uh, well, I, just one. I have a nightfall. So. Okay, just one. So, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, you see, you see these weights here and whatnot, yeah. and yeah. it goes into what you were talking about earlier when you gave your analogy that, you know, I think you were too hard on yourself for the analogy. <laughs> I don't think it was that bad at all. Okay, all right. Well, I, uh, I had some terrible ones, trust <laughs> me. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of these, you know, and you know, everything is kind of intertwined here that we're talking about. And if you look at a lot of these police shootings that maybe could have been avoided, could they have been avoided if the police officer was in better shape? And better to better able to handle themselves sure. without the use of a gun. A lot of fights end up on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And if I'm out of shape and I'm and I'm struggling on the ground, and and I would struggle on the ground, let's say even without a gun, or even without a, a fight that I'm that I'm engaged in, how much worse is that? How much more difficult is it, is that? And am I quicker to pull out that gun because I'm not you know physically yeah, able able to defend in. myself? Yeah, that panic exactly. Is so. In. You know, it all goes into that. So I train my body. I train my mind. Right. You know, a lot of it, it just goes towards the reality that I don't want to shoot anyone. Mm-hmm. Right. Am I willing to? If if lawfully, you know, if, if if lawfully I'm able to and I feel that there's a need to. And, you know, what I always say is at the moment that you pull your gun, you should feel like it's me or them or it's someone innocent or them. Mm-hmm. Right. At that very moment that you you, you pull the trigger. And am I prepared to, to to pull the trigger in that moment? Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm right. definitely a pr- prepared to, but I don't want to, yeah. you know. And and what I want to be able to do is end any kind of of altercation or intense situation like that. Um, I want to be able to end that without using a handgun. And and I don't feel like you can. I don't feel like I, I can feel confident in my ability to do that if, if I'm not in, 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 in decent shape. So, no, so yeah, I definitely take care it's of myself. It's a great perspective, uh, and, you know, uh, to, to talk about uh, is that, you know, that desperation of being overpowered or, or mm-hmm. fearful could factor in very much um, and how much of that can be mitigated. Exactly. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of that also, you know, you as much as I carry a gun and as prepared as I am, you know, to use it, the likelihood that I'll use it 
is decreased by my awareness, right? If I'm going somewhere where I think I might have to pull this gun out, mm-hmm. then it's probably somewhere I don't need to be. And I'm, yeah. I'm ready and willing to not go there, right? Mm-hmm. I'm paying attention to my surroundings. My hand, my phone, my face isn't buried in my phone as I'm walking and, and completely unaware of my surroundings, right? If I see, you know, things that make me uncomfortable, I, I already know or I have an idea of how I would want to deal with that, right? Whether I want to create distance, I want to walk on the other side of the street. I'm not too prideful to go to the other side of the street. I'm not saying, oh, just because I have a gun, mm-hmm. I'm going to walk through this group of dudes yeah. that look like, you know, that look pretty hostile yeah. for whatever yeah. reason, or they're arguing. I'm going to walk right in the middle of the argument, right? Because I got a gun. And if somebody tests me, then that's not my mindset, right? right? The reality is that, you know, even in a self-defense situation, there, you know, there's, there's police interviews. There's sometimes, uh, you know, legal process and things like that, that if I could avoid being a part of, I, I definitely want to. Yeah. And, uh, I also don't want to take somebody off this earth unless they, they, uh, definitely deserve to be taken off of it. Right. And, uh, if I can avoid being the one that, that's, that's doing that, then, you know, I, I would like to. But, uh, the goal is that I prepare myself, uh, mentally and physically. Uh, to defend myself and, and my family, you know, so you know, I'm not going to be not taking care of myself physically and then go buy 50 guns, right. you know, because as we were hanging out earlier, one of the things I mentioned you know, when we were talking about sports is the best ability is availability, right. right? So, you know, and not to get too far off off topic, but the things that we eat and all that stuff like that, and just being around physically to protect them is, is most important, right? Yeah. So, so I definitely try to take care of myself. And again, you know, I try to be a resource for the community and you know, I'm, I'm trailing. No, off it's, I, I think, I think it's great. It, we're, again, we're talking back to value, self value. If something is important enough for you to defend with a gun, then you should also be doing other things in your life to defend it. Exactly. Uh, uh, exactly. And keep yourself available and healthy and able. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a great mindset to have, particularly as an instructor mm-hmm. for someone bringing people into this world and teaching them the importance of, of things. I think that uh, you're a real asset. Where can people find you if they want to look at the classes available, uh, Mm -hmm. get registered, get licensed? Where can they find you? So the website is prolificopsopstraining.com. Instagram is prolificopstraining on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. Uh, If you Google us, our, our Yelp page will pop up. You know, you see reviews and things like that. There are also... Our website has some information on it and, and, you know, a lot of our information is pushed to, to Instagram, you know, mm-hmm. it's just most familiar to me. Eventually we want to move into having more web-based uh, content available to people, you know, to serve as a resource that you can look up. And then also I want to get into more uh, YouTube videos, instructional videos and, and, you know, taking the time to do that. But obviously, you know, again, this is uh, for all, all of the instructors on, on the team, they have, you know, full-time gigs, and this is a, a, a side business that we, we do together. So obviously availability is going to be limited to some extent. So, you know, we want to continue to progress and, and definitely put valuable information out there. And what I try to do is just use the things that I'm going to do anyway. So I'm going to do, for instance, I'm going to do a, a one-on-one training, right? And I'm going to video record some of it for the client. I take that video and I use it for instructional purposes. You know, they might, you know, have uh, some kind of error or they might do something really well. And I want to highlight that. And I use that so that people can look at, at, at someone else, you know, some everyday person that is just coming for training and see, hey, you know, I do that sometimes or, you know, oh, I, I can probably work on that or basic knowledge. Right. 
one of the things that uh, I think is always funny in, in my class, you know, we talk about gun safeties, right? So the safety devices on handguns, mm-hmm. you know, I often say that the guns I carry, you know, I've, I've never really carried a gun that had a safety on it. And you just see these eyes open up really sure. wide, right? Sure. And the main reason is just because of a lack of familiarity, right? People are like, you need a safety. All guns should have safeties. You know, you don't want to mistakenly pull that trigger, you know? But the reality is that the gun goes off when I pull the trigger. And when I handle my gun, whether it's a real gun, a fake gun, whether it's loaded or it's unloaded, my finger is always so, you know, it's, it's far away from the trigger. Um, it's along the frame of the gun and you can see it from, you know, 20 feet, 20 yards away. You can look at me and you can tell my finger's not on the trigger, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't keep it hovering around the trigger or anything like that. So when you practice those safe fundamentals on a regular basis, the safety isn't, isn't necessary in the same way, right? Mm-hmm. And when I have said in my mind that I'm going to pull the trigger when I have something in front of that gun that I wish to destroy, I'm not going to be playing those games that you see people play often that, that results in these, these, these bad incidents that are happening. Sure, sure. So again, this goes back to training and familiarity. I'll end by throwing out some hot sauce. So what you're telling me is as someone familiar who carries a gun with no safety, the likelihood that you would mistake a taser for a gun is low. Ah, oh, you, 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 you hit me hard now. Okay. 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 But uh, so there's a lot that goes into that, 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 that incident, right? You talked about stress yeah. and the impact that that has on you. I can tell you right now, I've seen cops drive the opposite direction intentionally when a call for a man with a gun goes out. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. They don't want any Having, parts of that. Yep. I've yeah. seen cops say, look, I don't want to do any of this. Not the scenario training. We ain't even talking real life stuff. We're talking scenario training. Mm-hmm. I don't want any part of this scenario training. Just give me an event to plan. Give me some logistical <laughs> thing to do that's related to police work yeah. that helps me get to this 25 or 30 year retirement yeah. so I could, you know, get out of this profession that I might not have, you know, not have wanted to be in in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right. And they'll say it. Right. So imagine. Mm-hmm. Imagine the fear they might live under. The panic in that right? situation. Sure. Sure. And I completely understand how, you know, people that have never been under that level of stress can say, how could you pull, you know, the, the taser out thinking it's a handgun? And honestly, I don't know. And, and trust me, I also understand the trauma that we've seen mm-hmm. in the black community, right? That would make us skeptical to say the least. And, you know, skeptical doesn't even feel like, like a fitting word, right? Mm-hmm. But when I looked at that that video and I saw how immediately she's like, you know, I oh, shot him. I yeah. <laughs> acknowledge him. Yeah. And there's like this, you know, this old crap, you know, effect in there. Right. Mm-hmm. That that leads me to believe it was a mistake made from a lack of training, yeah. uh, a lack of mental preparation for that type of incident. Yeah. Just just completely being un- unprepared. And I think that's what I've been, been kind of going back to is proper training familiarity and as much as you can preparation for, you know, uh, in my world, I say, you know, you kind of have to prepare to be flexible, prepare for the unprepared. Mm -hmm. That's a major thing for sure in those circumstances. So again, not to, these things are, are, are difficult in every respect. I think something that you got at earlier, you know, that I think is worthy. If there's a police officer and there are, who the last thing they want to do is be in any 
dangerous environment. <laughs> okay, and there are. Mm-hmm. But that officer is armed with a lethal weapon. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it make sense that you yourself be as familiar with those types of weapons and scenarios as possible? It may just help you. It may just save your life to understand that. And uh, you mentioned uh, before we began, we're not talking about going to college and getting a four-year degree. We're talking about maybe four hours of instruction and education that can make you a better, more prepared person around. Mm -hmm. And there are things like citizens academies and things like that where you can learn police procedures and and whatnot. And, you know, I think sometimes we people tend to confidently speak on things that they don't have familiarity with. Right. And as a former law law enforcement officer and African-American, I'm in a tight, tight spot. Because as soon as you say anything that doesn't go along with the narrative that that people have been pushing, mm-hmm. right, or that they're familiar with, you instantly go from an ally to the opposition, right? And the reality is that black firearm instructors, law enforcement officers, people with some kind of you know, experience in, in, you know, firearms and, you know, it could be military and combat and, and all, and all, and all that. People familiar with self-defense and the legality of it and whatnot, they come with a certain knowledge base that, you know, that everyone else might not have. And they can serve as a resource if you allow them to. And I'm not sitting there saying that we don't have some that have completely, you know, they drink the whole cup of Kool-Aid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not saying that they don't exist. Right. But I'm saying that we need to give them more grace than we've, we've given them. And, and understand that for me, I guess speaking from my, my experience, I was, I was, I've been, I've been black all my life. Right. 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 And I ain't never going to get away from that. Right. And there have been incidents where off duty, black off duty law enforcement officers have been beaten, tased, shot and all that. Right. And have felt like it was due to their skin color. So we walk around with those realities every day, but we also have these experiences that have exposed us to some things that the average person doesn't get exposed to. And because of that, you know, we try to, I've I've seen people try to impart some knowledge and and, and share their experience in a different perspective and be completely shut down, you know? So I'm very weary of saying things like, eh, you know, based on my experience Mm -hmm. and, and just how people can act under a, a high degree of stress, it's definitely possible that someone gets tunnel vision and they reach for whatever and they, they're not even thinking about it and they pull that trigger multiple times. Sure. Yeah, I do believe it's possible. Sure. Is it probable? I don't know. You know, that's, that's up for debate, but is it possible? Definitely. And that's based on my experience. So, but I, I'm still, again, I, I try to, you know, tread lightly understanding that we've, we've been through a, a lot of trauma with what we see on the TV and, and on our phones on a regular basis with these incidents. Um, sure. You know, regardless of whether they're, they're legally justified or not. Right. So, well, we can't predict or, uh, um, you know, really affect a lot of the outcomes of what's to come. Mm-hmm. But as individuals, if you're a gun owner, if you're thinking about becoming a gun owner, then the recommendation would be to get as familiar and as prepared and trained as possible to be the best and most efficient gun owner that you can be. So prolificops.com, yep. prolific ops on social media. Chris, thank you, man. I think this was great to talk about. On the first official Juneteenth, we're talking about, you know, gun ownership in our community, self-worth in our community, but most importantly, doing something the best available way possible. For sure. So thank you, bro. For sure. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, man. I appreciate that. 
Okay, well, I hope that you enjoyed listening to Chris with ProOps. Today, as we talked about gun licensing and ownership and training, you know, I really think Chris, he's, he's a great dude and um, he really takes it seriously, you know, which I, I appreciate. I appreciate his attention to detail, his passion. You know, gun ownership, it's a bit of a mindset. Either you're in or you're out. And for the reasons that we discussed today, for self-protection, home defense, those things, you know, simply buying a gun alone doesn't make you safe or, or, or good at protecting yourself. You go buy a set of knives, it doesn't make you a, a good cook. You need skills and training and, and instruction and practice. I, that, see, that was better. I, I told you I was bad at analogies. Yeah, yeah, guns and, and knives. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Chris. On this particular day, I actually went after his qualifying license class that he was uh, giving. There's a portion of the class in order to complete it where you have to do a hands-on shooting. And so I met with him and uh, some of the folks who were completing the class at the range that day. And uh, a few of them were nice enough to to talk to me. And uh, so if you stick around, you'll hear from them directly about what brought them to the class and, you know, what their thoughts were for gun ownership for themselves personally. They were all African-American. There was four of them. There was um, Casey and Beverly, and I believe it was uh, Will and Tia, kind of corroborating what we talked about earlier. I think Will was the only male in the class that particular day. So, you know, all black women getting licensed and will give you, in their own words, some of the reasons why and how they came to that decision. Again, I hope you enjoyed it. Stick around, subscribe, tell your friends, even if it's to say, please listen, you've never heard a podcast this bad before. Please check this out. Yeah, just do that. All right. We'll see you next time. Just Black Talking. Take care. So the two of you have just finished the hands-on portion of your training for your handgun qualifying license. Is that right? That is correct. How do you feel? I feel great. I really enjoyed the experience. And Casey? I'm glad it's over, but I enjoyed it. You're glad it's over. Well, how did you do? You're holding your targets there. Oh yeah, you you both definitely did. Congratulations on that. How did you guys come to decide to come and get qualified for, for, for gun licensing? It was something that well, we like to do things that are a little bit different. Um and it was something that we talked about for several years. Mm-hmm. Um and so we just decided, you know, now that the world is starting to open up and most of the restrictions have been, you know, done away, we just decided it was time to go ahead and do it. And I kind of like the idea that on the first national celebration of Juneteenth, this was something that we decided to do. Excellent. So there was no particular trigger uh, or, or impetus for you to do this. This is something you were thinking about for a long period of time. Yes. Okay. Yes. Wonderful. So on Juneteenth, 2021, here you are. What do you anticipate using your gun license for? What kind of gun owner do you anticipate being? Are you going hunting? No, I'm not a hunter. I'm okay. only going hunting. Not even sure if I'm going to own a gun. I don't know yet. But I wanted the experience. I wanted to challenge myself to do something I've never done before. Um, so that was the whole basis of it for me. So I'm still pondering and trying to sort it out. So both of you have mentioned that you like doing things that are a little out of the ordinary. And so to me, that suggests that gun ownership, at least in your your worlds, is not the norm. Will you be the first first gun owners in your families? No. Um, yes, I think so. OK. All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. So we're talking about gun ownership within the black community. 
Um, typically, most folks are buying their guns in this day and age for home defense. Is that something that factored into your minds? Yes. 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 Okay. And would you anticipate uh, maybe handguns or long guns, shotguns, or you're not certain yet? Not certain. I'm not certain. I am interested in a shotgun for sure, um, but probably both. Probably both. How did you come to find uh, Prolific Ops uh, as your licensing uh, company. I just did a search on um, Instagram. I was specifically interested in black instructors, and so I, you know, I found several. And um, Chris was the one when I um, started following him. He actually sent me a message and asked if it was something that I was interested in. He just asked a few questions, and so I really appreciated that he reached out to me specifically um, in response. So that's how I decided. That's how we decided. That's how you said. And so, Casey, having a black instructor was also a factor of importance for you as well? Yes. Whenever possible, whenever I can, all things being equal, I want to support black-owned businesses and individuals. Excellent. Excellent. So there was a bit of a... Uh, personal connection almost when uh, Chris reaches out to you to show you that this is a, a more of a personalized experience. Yes. Right. Now, I am familiar with Chris and his training. I also experienced that feeling of uh, community uh, in the training process and feeling like I belonged and, and feeling like this was something um, for me as opposed to me really stepping out of uh, this, the norms. Is that something that you experienced or, or is familiar feeling to you for the class? It was a familiar feeling, not only racially, but gender-wise, to see a class of predominantly black women. Um, so for me, that's the out-of-the-box aspect of this. Not necessarily about black individuals and gun ownership, because I was raised around individuals that own guns, but never seen black women take the lead in that area and take these classes. So that's what made me feel comfortable. Wonderful. Will you guys be interested in concealed carry? No. It is something that I'm considering. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, congratulations on this step of the process. I see your targets, which means uh, <laughs> I'll, steer, I'll steer clear. I want to stay on the good side of things with both of you. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with us. Thank you. Absolutely. So, Tia and William, you just finished the hands-on portion of your qualifying process. How did you do? Um, I guess I did okay. Oh, yeah? Well, you have your targets. Can we I, see them? I do. Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Tia, that will get it done. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Congratulations, guys. How did you come to find this particular course? This is a black-owned course. Uh, we were actually referred, uh, referred by my friend. Uh, he took the course, uh, I think, mid-May. Okay. And uh, he said he was a good instructor, and so he decided to take it. And, so, and doing this kind of together as well. Right. Yes. Awesome, awesome. What, what brought you to the decision to get a gun license? Well, with rising tensions with the government and everything else like that, I kind of honestly, I feared that my rights were going to be, you know, endangered at some point. So I figured I needed to act on this, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, and what better day than this day. <laughs> right, yeah, you it's know? Juneteenth today. Exactly. Right, Absolutely. right. The, the first official Juneteenth. The, the first official. First official. Right, right. First. Yeah. It's, it's always been something I was interested in. Um, way back in the day, I was, you know, trying to do armed security and stuff like that. Um, but owning your own personal is, is something different, too. So, um, 
you know, like she said, with things kind of escalating as of late, um, the the necessity or the need to really be able to protect yourself seemed more important. Um, you know, more things change, more things kind of stay the same. So, um, but now they're out in the forefront, so yeah. it kind of seemed like a necessity. So it's it, it sounds like both of you are more concerned with personal protection. Oh yeah, yes. okay. Absolutely. Uh, and so, will concealed carry be something that you're considering? Um, if it were readily accessible in Maryland, we would definitely have already yeah. jumped on it. But Maryland is so um, strict and stringent with the, the concealed carry and stuff like that, probably with you know good reason. But um, you know, until we can get into a position where we can do that, I don't yeah. think that's something we'll look into. So in to some degree, politics really played into your decision and, and kind of our social um, circumstance that we're currently having in this country. So uh, a sense of protection, you think? A sense of security? Is that what we're going for? Yeah, I want to be able to protect me and my family. Um, and, you know, it seems, it seems like it's growing to the point where it's becoming more and more necessary. What do you think about something that we hear about, like legislation in places like Texas, where um, the uh, right to carry guns, whether they're registered or, uh, or not, is being explored and expanded. Uh, I think it's a good idea. Like I know in, in um, you know, well, as far as it being explored and expanded to where uh, it makes it easier for people to own and, and carry, I think it's a good idea. You know, in Georgia, they have an open carry law where, you know, as long as it's not concealed and you keep it, you know, where you can see it, then it's fine. Um, I don't think a state like Maryland would do would jump on it too, too soon. But yeah, I think I, I, I'm, I'm for it. Now, we just finished a year with lots of discussion about um, George Floyd and encounters between black community and law enforcement. What's the role, you think, of having your own personal protection uh, gun as far as it relates to encounters with law enforcement? Do you think that in the black community we should be more or less armed, uh, for example, during those encounters? That's tough to say. I think it draws a fine line. Um, you know, it's 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 a touchy situation um, because you know it's it's been known for us to stay that way. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I mean, if law enforcement is claiming that they're they're already afraid, um, then if we have the opportunity to to carry openly and things like that, does that give them you know more? I don't know how to word it, but for them to say, okay, well. Everybody can be armed at this point. Everybody can openly carry. So we're going into every situation where um, we have a high potentiality to have to use deadly force. So it, it brings that up. But at the same time, you know, it's, it is protection for yourself, you know, because um, not everybody has good intentions, yeah. has your uh, uh, intentions, good intentions at heart. Which and that goes for law enforcement, right. too. So. Which is why I, I kind of, you know, sort of think that, you know, there should be a little bit more that goes into, you know, allowing people to carry. I think that I think they do need to work on those regulations a little bit more before it becomes like a more widespread thing, oh, per se. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't really think that like I think like if they were to bring it to Maryland, I don't think it would be a good idea right about now. But I mean, I, I think 
you know, with them doing more, I guess, setting more, I guess, like benchmarks and things that people need to meet in order to qualify, I think that that would lessen the amount of, you know. Well, it seems like you guys are definitely uh, considerate of the circumstances, of legislations, and I think you'll be uh, responsible gun owners. <laughs> I think you'll be responsible gun owners. But look, thanks for taking time to talk with us. Absolutely. Congratulations on this step of the process. Thank you.